The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Ghostlight Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Jeff Counts, and I'm joined today by internationally acclaimed violin soloist and Utah native, Will Hagen. Welcome, Will. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to have you back with us in Salt Lake City. And we take special pride in your career because it's sort of got its start here with us. You were here as a nine-year-old performing mm-hmm. with the Utah Symphony. So I'm curious, what does that connection mean to you now all these years later? You're 24 now, so yeah. you're well into your life as a musician. So what does this connection mean to you now? Oh, it means a great deal because I didn't come from a family that was embedded in the music world. You know, I didn't come from a family that knew everything about it. So everybody here, many members of the orchestra that um, that were on stage when I played when I was when I was nine absolutely so it's really special to come back and they by the way they're the most wonderful people they're so supportive of me and you know we're having this interview right by West High School which is where I went for seventh and eighth grade and I you know it's just coming home after having been living not at home for a while well and and, and traveling all over the world I'm sure yeah yeah I've had some fun travel experiences lately it's it's nice to be a home base for you and I you know you say you don't come from a musical family you but you did enter one I mean you're part of Robert Lipsitz's family Mm. of violin professionals that are working around the world I mean it's nice as, as a member of Utah Symphony to be in the West because we're close to where Robert does his magic. Yeah. And we get to see a lot of you young players early on in your careers, which is great. So yeah. I want to talk about something that just happened to you a couple of years ago. Um, you were chosen to play this amazing fiddle. I mean, you're, you're now in possession of the Sennhauser del Jesu mm-hmm. and it was given to you by the, uh, well, I say given to you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're the, you're the keeper of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the Stradivarius Society of Chicago back in 2016, which is an amazing honor. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me that I would bet that not many people know how this high-end violin game work, kind of works. Can you talk about how it works generally and how you came to be the person who possesses this great instrument now? You say, you know, not many people would know how it works. I don't yeah. think I count myself as a person who knows how it works. I think I but not, I find myself very lucky. So few of you own the instruments you play. Oh, almost. I think you can count on one hand how right. many violinists and cellists um, really own their instrument. Yeah. I uh, met somebody in Chicago, and I kind of had a connection with them, and they said, oh, you should... I'm really going to work to try and get you in the Strad Society. And I went, oh my gosh. And I got so excited. And then it took years for one of the violins to become available. And I am so lucky that it was this violin because I really love this violin. So Leela Josefowitz used this fiddle as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Also a Lipset student. Absolutely. Actually. And it was funny Absolutely. because Lipset knew this violin. Yeah. And when I told him that it was the one, I mean, it's a Del Jesu, so and he's a big fan of old violins. Sure. So I thought that he would just be thrilled, but he said, okay. Apparently the violin had some problems back then. Ah, okay. But they really did amazing work on it, and I've played it for him. I've you know played it for other people, and they, I think people really like this violin. I love the violin. Remind me how old it is. 1735. Okay. So This is a piece of history you're holding. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Did you get the sense while you were waiting for an instrument to become available, that they were kind of keeping an eye on you to make sure that you were going to be worthy? I mean, is it a bit of pressure? One day they said, hey, can you come to Chicago in December? I said, "Uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And um, it was, I think, it it was like December 21st, so right right around Christmas time that I got it. And I just had to play it for the owner of the violin. It worked out. These old instruments are 
expensive. And I think people intuitively know that and they, and they, and they know they're being played by people, but I don't think they understand that there's this network of foundations that sort Mm -hmm. of manages where they go and who, who's lucky enough to get them. So congratulations. Thank you. Incredible honor. So let's talk about what you're going to be doing with this instrument while you're here in Utah. So as we record, you're performing this week with us and you're going to be performing for the first time, I believe with conductor Matthias Pincher, right? Yeah. Never met him. and And I'm sure at this point in your career, I mean, you've been doing this a while already, but you're still young enough that you're having a lot of these first-time conductor experiences every, mm-hmm. t- you know, from week to week. So, I'm curious, how do these relationships usually take shape? Is it different every time? Are there certain commonalities you can rely on, sort of traditions in the business? How does it How does it happen when you meet somebody new that you have to collaborate on this level with? It's interesting. It's just like meeting people. Every conductor has their own personality, just like every person has their own personality. And some conductors really take an active part in the interpretation, which I actually like. And some people don't. And I also like that. Sure. I'm really excited to work with Matthias Pincher because he has such a wide and broad education. Absolutely. Studied as a violinist. Yeah. Yeah. And composes, which gives you an incredibly um, in-depth perspective, I think, on every single piece of music that he would ever conduct yeah. he's really i know that he likes or it, it seems that he likes working with young people because mm-hmm. uh my wife her final concert at juilliard the commencement concert was conducted by a pincher ah. and they loved him he conducts a lot of young people he's he does so many diverse things and i was actually i was surprised to be playing the repertoire that i'm playing with a composer you know th- these Absolutely. these are very virtuoso show pieces and yeah. i thought that i would be playing something very intellectual or you know I don't know. Just no, you're doing show-off music. This, this is show-off yeah, music. Yeah, this is Rip Snorton concert absolutely. violin music. Ravel Sigon yeah. and the... The, the introduction in Rondo Capriccio. Absolutely, Capriccio's exactly. So. Which <laughs> might be the most syllables in any piece of <laughs> violin music. It might indeed be longer than the piece itself. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to see what the two of you do together. I, he's well-loved here. Mm-hmm. So are you. And it's going to be great to have you sort of two Utah favorites collaborate on this. When I was sort of getting myself up to speed on what you've been up to lately, I saw an interview you did for the Violin Channel a couple of years ago. It was one of those sort of rapid-fire 20 questions thing. It's really great. I, I recommend everybody go watch it. But a few things you said really stuck with me, and one of them was that you mentioned an alternate career choice, which would have been National Geographic photographer, which I thought was amazing. And I wonder if you still think about that. Do you, do you, does that still cross your mind? And what artistic parallels you identify between that dream job and the one you actually have? The main reason I say that is that I love nature so much. Mm-hmm. I I do not know my way around a camera. <laughs> and I just, there's this, um, at the academy that I'm at in Germany, the Kronberg Academy, there's this right. new cellist there, uh, Santiago Canyon Valencia. He's this amazing cellist, and he also is a really great photographer. Uh-huh. And so this is a guy who's actually kind of doing, doing both. both. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I can't even begin to hold a conversation with somebody who knows that much about photography. Yeah. So this is really just like... Uh, you know, saying that I love nature. But does the fascination still exist for you? Oh, yeah. For, the, for, for photography in particular? I mean... If I found myself with a really good camera, it's funny, yeah. even just with my iPhone, when I go on a on a trip, it's, it's like, I think my first instinct is to not want to take pictures at all yeah. because it takes... Yeah time sure. and you know and all that but yeah. then once I start taking pictures then I start I take a million pictures yeah. what yeah. I love is that you know when you look back at the pictures in your iPhone it really is like a, a great 
diary. Absolutely. You know, that yeah. it, you see the image and you know that that's how it looked. And you can even remember, oh, well, this lighting's terrible, but this is what it actually looked like. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, absolutely. So I think the, the photography aspect is great, is, you know, capturing a moment and knowing what was going on in your life at that time. And then just nature, I, I'm, I'm a... Well, and travel. I love traveling. You did mention that in the interview. I, you yeah. know, it, it occurred to me that when you talk about National Geographic level photography, you're talking about a, a kind of photography that forces you to look very deeply at things. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very slowly, very deeply, very seriously. And that seems to me a parallel Absolutely. to the kind of the way, to the way you probably have to approach a piece of music. You know, you could be looking at just an amazing potential shot. But, you know, the eyes are always doing a better mm-hmm. job than the camera. So then I'm sure that a photographer says, okay, how can I make this? How can I convey what I want to convey to the audience? That's exactly what we do. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I've heard both of these pieces, the Sagan and the intro and Rondo, a thousand times. Sure. Um, I've played both of them quite a bit, the intro and Rondo more than the, the Zagon, but, um, but you want to, to do something new with it and right. to to bring out what you like about the piece. That's, mm-hmm. I think that's the whole, the whole mission of, a, of an artist is to, you take these works of art that are, you know, really classical music, the, the stuff that's left yeah. that we still play, and even stuff that isn't played is some of the crowning achievement of the human race, really. Without I mean, unbelievable stuff. And so what makes it fresh, what makes it relevant is our interpretation and what, and you are, it's our job to show to the audience the difference and the, what we love about it. It's not necessarily just trying to be different. It's just showing the love, just expressing yeah. through your own voice. And maybe, what's happening. maybe even a lens to torture yeah. this connection <laughs> all the way to the end. Yeah. I think it's great. Well, something else you said that I wanted to talk to you about is that you mentioned wanting to be a pro baseball player when you were younger. And this was something that I, share with you. I mean, really? I, oh, I grew up obsessed with baseball. I'm still obsessed. Awesome. Okay. Always and, wanted to be a professional second baseman. And I'm curious, what, what position would you have played? What shortstop. So we would have oh, collaborated. We would have collaborated. We yeah, would have yeah. turned a lot of double plays. Oh, of course. It, yeah. Those really are the two glamour jobs on the, on the oh, defensive yeah. side of the ball, I think. Oh, absolutely. I think it's interesting. You ended up in a very physically demanding job anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not a professional athlete, but you have to almost train like one. I mean, yeah. do you feel like do you feel like sometimes that you're an athlete, especially after a really grueling piece? The endurance aspect of baseball, if you're a major league baseball player, is that you have 162 games. Right. But on the field, you're not running a marathon. Right. I mean, you have to stand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for extended periods of time, but yeah. it's the lightning quick. Yeah. It's not stuff. like soccer or basketball where you're running the whole time. Exactly. It's a it's a it's, it's a burst sport. Yeah. yeah. And it's a technique sport. Yeah. As you know from being yeah. an infielder, yeah. it's all about the basics. Yeah. I see a lot of similarities from an athletic point of view with the violin sure that it's really about the execution and with technical problems on the violin and technical problems in baseball I, I, I really think they're very similar absolutely and they're very simple yeah I think lots of the time on the violin or in any instrument I think people tend to overthink it so if they're playing sharp they think oh gosh I, I need to really train my ear I'm gonna you know practice at this thing when it's like well you could just try putting your finger a little lower on the fingerboard. Right. And so. this is something that I've had to realize. I think I made things way too complicated sure. for myself, so I'm trying to slowly uncomplicate my life. And it's really, it's similar to baseball, you know. If you hit a ground ball, 
then you were probably swinging on top of the baseball. So maybe exactly. try to hit a little yeah. lower on the baseball next time. Yeah. And it's just these little things like this that are, they're really similar. I, I was pretty serious with baseball for a time. Me too. I'm sure you know there are lots of similarities. Oh, yeah. Just the idea of having to yeah. focus your head on your hands. Yeah. Just that physical awareness yeah. of being aware of what your hands are doing all the time as an infielder. Yeah, and there's totally a chamber music Absolutely. similarity. Absolutely. Um, Notice, noticing out of the corner of your eye exactly where the shortstop is and how he's moving and what kind of throw you're going to get and how yeah. where to put your feet before you make the turn to first. I mean, it's, Absolutely. It there's a lot, a lot like of improvisation yeah. and all, all sorts of stuff like this. And a really, really great baseball player, really great infielder, is somebody who so naturally... Oh, yeah. Reacts, yeah. yep. and it, that's a mark of a great musician. You're reacting and initiating at the same time, and it's. Uh, it's I think you and I should collaborate on a book about baseball as chamber music, and yeah. uh, maybe we'll do that as a podcast bonus episode where we speak for three hours and. Because <laughs> I, awesome. I could talk about this all day with you, Will. Game uh, seven tonight too. I know. So I won't even open that can. I know, and I, yeah. as we record, Game Seven, Dodgers and Astros, and you. Probably, I can imagine, as a San Francisco fan, are rooting hard for the Astros. This is interesting. Okay. This is interesting. So I, I'm going to be very diplomatic here. Okay. I went to school in L.A. Right. For I, years I and years. Too, so. so, I mean, my second favorite team in the NL West is the Dodgers. How is that possible? You're supposed to hate them. I'm, I'm supposed to hate them. I'm just a rotten Giants <laughs> fan, apparently, because I should have this burning <laughs> hatred. You know, I, I do. I have all these Giants fans yeah. uh, who are, you know, rooting hard for the Astros. Of course. And this is just, for me, it's a, yeah. it's a win-win series yeah. because with the hurricane and everything. I, know, I mean, it's I just Absolutely. both teams for me. If if LA wins, I went to school a 30-minute walk from Dodger Stadium, yeah. so I can't be too mad about that. Right. And I like lots of the players. Right. And the Astros, I mean, it would just be great. I've been, you know, we've we've all been paying so so close attention to what's been happening with Houston Grand Opera and the fact that they've lost My most of their gosh, season. Yeah. I mean, a, a Houston Astros win would be great for that city. And I think just on a, on a cosmic level, mm-hmm. I think we're all secretly rooting for that. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of cosmic things, I have to ask you our final question, which is a tradition on the show. You've spent a lot of time in theaters. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, if, Will Hagen, if you've ever seen a ghost. And if you have, so give us some details. I have never seen. I've never. I have no ghost story. Okay. I mean, I think I'm as scared of the dark as anybody else. <laughs> so you've you've made a career of avoiding them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I I'm I'm not looking for them. I'm trying to not look for them. But I do. I have a pretty good ghost story. All right, like just it. in general, and it's yep. not really a ghost story, but it just it's really funny. I'm gonna. This is my. This is a story of my dad's. Okay. So this is right when the ring came out. Yep. Um, and there's you know the creepy little boy. Yeah. And my little brother was really a, a daddy's boy growing up, and he was almost exactly the same age as that kid mm-hmm. in the movie. <laughs> and my uh, my dad like watched The Ring with a uh, I think with like my grandpa and maybe some of his brothers, and he came back home, and uh, my little brother used to wait for my dad, and my <laughs> so every light in the house was off, <laughs> and he could just see the silhouette of my little brother waiting motionless by the back door. And he said it was like the scariest thing that he ever <laughs> seen. Is just after seeing that movie, you know, it's like after I saw Silence of the Lambs, and sure. I my, I sleep in the basement. And yeah. if you've seen the movie, there's like the whole oh, yeah. night vision stock oh, scene. Of course, the, of course. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, those are my best ghost stories. Just being creeped out, pretending by to be ghosts, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, the heck yeah, out of exactly. your family members. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Will Hagen, I hope if you ever see an actual ghost, you'll come back on the podcast and we can talk about that. And at the very least, good luck with everything you're doing. Congratulations. We in Utah are very proud of you. Thanks for being on the Ghost Light Podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks. The Ghost Light Podcast is produced and edited by Chad Call. 
Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.